Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In today's message, Pastor Andy teaches through Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12, where you will learn how to complete the good work that God has prepared for you to do. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk about completing the good work, completing the good work. Um, How many of you have ever started something? You started something, but then you found yourself really struggling to finish that something, or if you did finish that something, you felt like you didn't finish it well. Are you resonating with me? Some of you are raising your hands, right? And maybe it's been like a project at home, like we need to renovate our bathroom, and so you, you drop all these plans, and you're excited about the plans, and then like, all right, uh, we're gonna go to Menards now, we're gonna buy all the materials, and so you buy the materials, you put them in your garage, and then they sit in your garage literally for years, all right? Some of you, some of you, you're like, I bought it's good as done but it's not done right it's easy to start things it's hard to finish things uh what about oh what about a diet right you go on a diet and then your diet ends with donuts right especially when you come into Kenosha City Church right like I'm on a diet like oh Paelli's donuts all right diet was yesterday diet will be tomorrow but it's not today right Easy to start. Wow, someone got an amen on that one. (laughs) Free donuts. All right, so anyway, it's it's easy to start something, but it's really, really hard to finish it. Hobbies, right? One time, Pastor Will and I, we decided we want to go fly fishing, right? So we go down to Bass Pro Shop. We buy, we get all outfitted to fly fish. We go out to Colorado, and we fish for a couple of days. That was 10 years ago. Will, Pastor Will, wherever you're at, uh, the, the rods are still in my garage, and they've been there for a decade, all right? It's easy to start something, but it's hard to finish something. Uh, One of the things that our family uh, does often is we go to national parks. We incorporate this into our homeschooling. We're a homeschool family, all right? And, uh, and so we, uh, we go to different national parks. Our kids learn about it from a biblical perspective, uh, and they earn their junior ranger badges. In a recent trip... Uh, we decided that we were going to take a look at the Grand Canyon, but not just the Grand Canyon, but where it started. All the way up to the Utah-Colorado border with the Green River, and we want to follow the Green River as it dumps into the Colorado River, and then eventually, whoa, you'll see the Grand Canyon. That'll be like the, the, the grand finale uh, of the trip. And so we started, uh, we, we started in Dinosaur National Monument, and the Dinosaur National Monument is the Green River as it goes through some of the very first canyons. And a really cool thing is, is that they found dinosaur bones. They found a lot of dinosaur bones. And you can see them. You can actually touch them. I, even as an adult, was like, this is awesome, right? And, but what's interesting about all the bones, you can put this on the screen, is they are all in like a pile. And you read the little placard and it said, it appears that all the dinosaur bones were buried under a big amount of water. And I'm like, hmm, sounds like a flood, right? So anyway, uh, but yeah, so you get to see a big pile of dinosaur bones that were pushed there by water. And, and the kids thought that was really, really cool. We saw our first canyon, and then we hiked on our way down the, uh, the Green River, and the Green River dumped into the... Um, Colorado River, and we saw uh, the look of a vast canyon. It wasn't the Grand Canyon, but there were vast canyons. I mean, look at that. If you fall off the ledge, you're dead, right? Pretty cool, right? My kid's like, whoa, wow, this is amazing. Like every turn of the hike, wow, look at this. This is absolutely amazing. And I was like, well, we were really doing it well. Hearing a lot of oohs and ahs on this trip, right? We go down the river, and we, we go to what's called Horseshoe Bend. And when they saw Horseshoe Bend, take a look at this. They're like, oh, wow, 
take a look at that. This is so amazing. And I'm like, well, why don't we want to just go hike down in the canyons? So we went and hiked down in the canyons. And as we hiked down in the canyons, take a look at this. They're like, wow, take a look at this. This is so awesome, so great. And I'm like, oh, man, we are such great parents. They are oohing and on, and they're looking at God's creation. We've got them into the canyons, but wait till they see the Grand Canyon, right? So the next day, we get to the Grand Canyon. And as we get to the Grand Canyon, we get out of the car. You can literally park at the edge. You get out of the car. You look at it. I'm like, wow, look at this thing. Look at this canyon, right? And if there are crickets in the Grand Canyon, you would have heard them that day because my kids weren't impressed. After a week of going through canyons and seeing dinosaur bones, somehow in the ooh and the ah, they got familiar. And my daughter broke the silence. My daughter Edna, and she said, I've already seen this. This is boring. Daddy, let's go home. That is not how I expected. My, my son's in the front row today. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. And so, uh-huh, right? That is not how I expected our trip to end. It started off with the bang with dinosaur bones going in the canyons. But when we got to the Grand Canyon, it was supposedly boring. Let's go home. I'm driving two 12-hour days home thinking, well, that's not the way I thought this trip was going to end. Because it's easy to start something and it's hard to finish something. If you do finish it, it's hard to finish it well. And you know what? It's not like this with hobbies or vacations or, or diets or projects. It's often like this with how we see God and in doing things of the Lord, right? It's so easy to say, I am so motivated after I went to church today. Or I'm so motivated after I read the word of God. Or, uh, you, maybe you think of the moment where you place your faith and trust in Jesus and, and, and you're just so in love with God. Like, you're just wowed by God being so amazing and all-knowing. And yet, you find yourself just kind of, meh. God, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. Oh, God, God's all-powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can pray to God Almighty. Uh, uh, yeah, God, someone gave their life to Christ in church. Okay, seen that before, let's go home, right? Scripture warns us that when you have an encounter with God, oh, don't forget it. You want to know why? Because our hearts leak. It leaks passion. It leaks faith. It, 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 it leaks memory. And we get to a point where we can lose our first love. Paul warned the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, Not that I have already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What we are being encouraged by Paul to the early church is this, is that oftentimes we think we've arrived. Oftentimes they think, okay, I, I gave my life to Christ, or okay, I had a pretty awesome day, and I gave thanks to Jesus, and all right, now I'm going to live my life. Eh, wrong. I want you to know that our life, as long as we're alive, is a forward motion into knowing who God is and doing his work. And we are such at risk of losing our first love with God. 
Now, make no mistake, when you place your faith and trust in Christ, you are his. Nothing can take you from his hand. Uh, but you were not made just to hobble in to the kingdom of God. No, you were made to thrive. Uh, you were made to know him. Uh, you, were, you were made uh, to, to run this life in confidence knowing that you have hope in Jesus Christ. And yet, I want you to know that I believe the church, even in the Western culture, may be at its most distracted moment in all of our lifetime. Why? It's not that the church isn't doing good things or the churches are doing good things. It's not that the churches aren't, aren't preaching truth. But what's end up happening is that we live in such a distracted, polarized culture that it's really hard to take what we know in theory, theologically, and do it in life. Am I, am I resonating, right? What I'm saying is, in everyday terms, it's actually hard to live out what we know, right? Evangelist J. John from England he recently said this about churches that have moved away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who once were preaching the word and now they may be preaching the word, but they're not about the word. Listen to this. He says, we have been given a message of good news. We must preach it. The purpose of the church is exactly as it ever was. To proclaim Christ to those who do not know him and strengthen and support those who do. Some within our church seem to think that the commands at the very end of Matthew's gospel, of which Jesus said, he said, make disciples, baptize, teach, are entirely optional. No. Evangelism and discipleship are God-given primary tasks. Everything else is secondary. There are those, he goes on to say, there are those who have overlooked Jesus because they are distracted by many good and honorable causes that we could have support and many evils that we should resist, yet we're under orders by Christ alone. We must proclaim Christ, his cross and his crown. And then he goes on to speak of his particular denomination. I believe this is, a, this is a, an indictment on many churches and many denominations. And may it never be an indictment against Kenosha City Church. But I want to read it. He says, sadly, much of his denomination has succeeded in doing what the Sanhedrin, the Roman Empire, and the sealed tomb failed to do. It has kept Jesus buried. Yet he is not our, uh, only our greatest hope. He is the one what we will have to give account to. It's all about Jesus. And when we make church and do a supper club, social club about a who's who, what your last name is, oh, look what we're doing, uh, I want you to know we've, we've missed it. It's all about Jesus. And the question is this, is your life all about Jesus? If the answer is no, or it's sort of, you're missing it this morning. You're missing it. When the church forgets that they are the bride of Christ, when the church forgets that they are the people of God, when the church forgets the mission of which they've been entrusted to, we forget why we're even coming together. Whose church is this? It's the Lord's, right? But when we forget that it's the Lord's, the church becomes what should be a heavenly institution and just to another earthly institution. But it is a heavenly one. Did you know that Jesus said that this is the only Thing on planet earth that the gates of hell will not prevail the gates of hell will not prevail the schemes of satan the self-righteousness of man cannot prevail against the church now make no mistake we are broken people that that encompass and populate the church we're not perfect people but in our imperfections christ is saying come follow come follow 
broken people get to follow an all-perfect and almighty God. That is the beauty of the church. And people often get this mistaken. They, they try to find God by looking at broken people. But listen, broken people are in church trying to look to God, right? And that's why our focus always needs to be on him and not some personality or some person or whomever. It's Jesus and Christ alone. And yet, we can forget this. You see, it's so easy to start into things of God saying, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you, or, or acknowledge that, okay, I need Jesus in my life. But the question is, what do you do with it? And it's so easy to forget the why. And this has been the culmination of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, it, it has been, it, it recounts in, in narrative uh, the nation of Israel coming back into their homeland after they had been exiled because of their disobedience. They are disobedient because they were to be the people of God to share the reality of the one true God to the entire world. And instead of being different from the world, they began to be concealed within the culture and look like the world. And so God punished them, sent them into exile and in the book of Nehemiah, we see that God is opening the door to bring the people back. Not only to bring the people back, the temple had been rebuilt. They were finishing the, the city walls and gates so the city would be protected. Why was God sending his people back to Jerusalem? Because, again, they were to be a witness to a dying world that there's a real God to give them life. And of course, if you're going to do the work of God, we see through the pages of Scripture and we know through the testimony even in your life, when you want to do the right thing in the Lord, you better believe the enemy, who the Bible calls the devil, will oppose you. He'll oppose you from every corner. Uh, he'll oppose you in circumstances. He'll oppose you from people that say they don't believe in God. He'll even oppose you to people who say they do believe in God. We see this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. When Sam Bellet and Tobiah and Geshem heard about this. They mocked and despised us. And they're mocking and despising Nehemiah when they heard the plan of returning God's people back and building the wall. What is this you're doing? You're rebelling against the king. But I gave him this reply, the God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share or right in the historic claim of Jerusalem. So we continued the work, Nehemiah 4.21, while half of the men were holding spears from daylight until the stars came out. Nehemiah was doing a mighty work and the enemy of the Lord did not want to see it completed. They did it by trying to intimidate the people of God, but instead of stopping, they remembered the mandate of God. So on one hand, they literally had spears to, to, to protect themselves and bricks and hammers, and on the other hand, to continue to build up and do the work of God. In Nehemiah 6.3 we see that uh, Nehemiah continually responds to those that are taunting him. He said this, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing an important work and I cannot come down to you. Why should my work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah was not gonna stop the work under any circumstance. There are many life circumstances that are gonna tell you to stop the work of the Lord. You need to understand this. Every time that you open up the Bible, every time that you go to pray, every time that you think, man, maybe I should get my life right with God, I want you to know the enemy's gonna be around the corner to stop you from doing the work of God. Just try it. Try reading your Bible today. Watch what happens. Your mind's gonna be flooded with distractions, things that you haven't even thought about for maybe two weeks, things that you don't even wanna do, but now you feel compelled to do. Why is that? It's because the enemy's trying to distract you from hearing the word of God. It's why prayer, it's like why your mind begins to race when you begin to pray to God. It's why when you're like, I know I need to get right with God, but I'll do it later. Yes, the enemy wants you to put it off just another day because tomorrow, again, it'll be another day. 
The enemy comes to distract, to oppose the things of God in your life. But this opposition did not stop Nehemiah. So the opposition turned up the heat a little bit. Not only were they a distraction, they resorted to slander and lies. They paid off prophets to give false prophecies. They even built bridges to God's people and then aimed to charm God's people, to influence them, to distract God's people. The enemy is crafty. You can see this whole demonic plan uh, against God's people in Nehemiah chapter 6. I encourage you to re-listen to that message or even read Nehemiah chapter 6 because the enemy, is, he, he just keeps on recycling the same playbook he has the same tricks. Nehemiah knew that God was with him. He was not going to be intimidated. He knew he had to continue to do the work. They did the hard work amongst the opposition. They rebuilt the temple. They finished the gates. And when everything was completed, they began to call all the people back home, come back to Jerusalem and live and worship the almighty God. Now, when the work is done and they're calling people to come in and enjoy the city, you might be tempted to think that, okay, all these sessions that we've been dealing with Nehemiah, they've been talking about rebuilding the city. It's done. We get to relax now, right? We get to relax. Well, God, I did a good work for you. Well, God, you know, that was, that was hard and grueling. Somebody else's turn now, Right? Ah, I'm just going to enjoy the fruit of my labor, right? How many of you in life choose to retire even though you know you can't retire, right? How many of you quiet quit God? How many of you say, okay, God, somebody else's turn? But the thing is this, the work never ends, the work of the Lord never ends in your life, and that's a good thing. That means that your life has eternal purpose. When people say, well, you know, the work's done. It's somebody else's turn. I want you to know that's wrong. The work doesn't end until Jesus Christ comes back or you die, right? The moment your heart quits beating and you stop breathing, your work is done. But until then, the work goes on and God wants to do a mighty work through you. So here's our main idea as we jump into the text this morning. Serving God is not about how you start, but how you finish. Serving God is not about how you start, but how you finish. And so in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, we're going to see just this. That if you're going to finish well, number one, you need to move into godly action now. Not that you already did it. Not that it's, oh, it's coming. It's now. God always wants to use and work in and through you. Nehemiah chapter 11 Verse one, here we go. Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots for one out of 10 to come to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine tenths remained in their towns. The people blessed all men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah, each lived on his own property in their towns, the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And then if you read on, you see a whole list of a whole number of people. The temple was rebuilt, the walls and doors repaired. Now the people were coming home to repopulate the city. Uh, the people, it was practical that the city needed to be repopulated. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we, we could see in the news today, uh, China has been notorious of building gigantic metropolises with gigantic skyscrapers and not one person lives there. 
And what ends up happening is it's a ghost town, and they end up literally, you could YouTube this, they literally implode uh, skyscrapers that haven't been used for decades, right? You, you don't want to build a city if nobody's going to live there. Uh, there's practical means for that, obviously, uh, for physical and governmental strength. But also, if Jerusalem is going to be the center of worship uh, for the whole world to know the one true God, uh, people had to live there. And so uh, we see, we know by verse 2, there is a general call, a general all call for the people to voluntarily move. And many people answered that call to voluntarily move to Jerusalem. But there was still a numerical deficit after the all call. They're like, hey, we, we need everybody to, whoever's willing, come and move uh, to Jerusalem. And, and uh, they're like, okay, cool, we got some people moved, but not enough. So it, this, is, this is how life is, isn't it? You call for volunteers, you get awesome volunteers, and you realize we still need more, and then you get voluntold, right? Church world, we're notorious. Hey, I'm gonna voluntold you something right now, right? I need you to go over here, right? That's exactly what happened uh, here uh, in Jerusalem. They were voluntold. All right, we got the people that wanted to come, but guess what? We still need more. So we're gonna cast lots, and those who, uh, casting lots is like rolling of the die. Some of it was like, you know, that you grab the longer stick, right? Uh, it, was, it was a way, casting lots, we see this in the Old Testament. You do see it a few times in the New Testament, but it's never commanded in the New Testament, all right? Uh, casting lots was a way to discern the will of God in an area of decision, I believe the reason why we are not commanded to do that in the New Testament now is number one, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, all right? But most importantly, we have the completed word of God, all right? So uh, we're not gonna, after church today, just cast lots, all right? All right, uh, you know, uh, what should you do the rest of the day? Let's cast lots, let's, let's roll die, right? No, no, we're not gonna roll dice, but that's, you see this on a number of important occasions in the Old Testament, that's how they discerned the will of God. And so they're like, okay, for those that don't want to move to Jerusalem, well, guess what? We're all going to roll, die, and whoever's lot it falls on, you're moving to Jerusalem. We're volunteering you. Now, what this shows is this, is that those who had to move to Jerusalem, it wasn't by uh, Nehemiah's command. It was by the command of the Lord. The Lord said, repopulate the city. And if the people are going to be the people of God, they, be, be, they better be ready to obey Right, And so there were those that volunteered, and then there were those saying, all right, I guess I'll do it if, I, if my lot falls on me. All right, So we see here, that's really, really important here, is that we are not our own authority. All right, We are not our own authority. And this is really important for us in the church world, All right, is that sometimes when we come into church, uh, we think it's a, a collective authority, right? Or sometimes we think that uh, we have individualistic, I'm the boss, right? I'm the boss, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, you're not the boss of me, right? Well, I, yeah, you're right, I'm not the boss of you, and I'm, I'm actually not the boss. You know whose church this is? The Lord God Almighty's. This is God's church, right? And oftentimes, though, churches, uh, they, 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 they adopt Burger King's uh, you know, theme. They have a Burger King's tagline, right? PK, have it your way, right? Like, some people think that's what church is all about. It's not. It's the Lord God Almighty's church, and we have a responsibility to be obedient, right? I always, I always tell people the theme song of hell is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way, right? That, that's, that's not what the church is about. The church is about being obedient to God every step of the way. And what we see here is that we are not our own authority. People literally uh, had to roll die to figure out uh, who was moving and who was not. And they realized that uh, 
They need to be obedient and filling the city of God. You know, it's important for us to remember, if I'm not the boss and you're not the boss, Jesus is the boss, we need to remember our life needs to be a sacrifice to him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price, glorify God with your body. If you want to be used and finished well uh, by the Lord God Almighty, you need to actually do the things of the Lord that he commands, no matter the cost. Somebody like, why? Why no matter the cost? Because this is what you're made for. You were made to know God. You were made to be used by God. And I want you to know uh, that your life has purpose. Your life had purpose before you were even born. You were wonderfully, fearfully, beautifully woven together in your mother's womb. You were, given, you were brought into this world with purpose, for his purpose. And our hearts have been knitted together to long for, to know our creator God. Our hearts long uh, to, to know God, not just know things about him, but to actually know him in a personal level and to be used by him. C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made to know God. We were made to serve God with all of our heart. You were not made just to make money. You were not made just to live, go through the rat race of life and then retire and live in retirement till you die. You weren't made for that. Uh, you weren't made for your hobby. Uh, you weren't made just for earthly relationships. Uh, you were made to know him. You were made to grow in him. You were, you were made for God to be the center of your life of which everything else flows. You are not your own. And it is a blessing to do the work of God and to see what he's doing in this world. So, we are not our own authority. We need to move into godly action now, which means this. We need to understand this. What we see with the people voluntarily coming back into Jerusalem, volunteering is a blessing. Volunteering is a blessing. Nehemiah 11, 2. The people blessed all men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The people blessed all men, which included their households, who volunteered first. That means they willfully went into the city of God that these individuals wanting to see the will of God fulfilled through their life would do everything, even including uprooting their lives and moving to Jerusalem. You know, for many of us today, God, you're not gonna wake up one morning and say, okay, we need you to uproot your life and go to a whole new city, right? People will do that sometimes when they plant a church or they have a, a core group to help plant a church, but it's rare. Today, volunteering is often Hey, will you consider going on a missions trip? Or, or hey, will you consider serving Kenosha through your city group? Or, or hey, will, will, you conserve, will you consider serving uh, in this particular area uh, on Sunday morning? It's, there's, there's a blessing when you serve the Lord where there is need. But oftentimes the church is riddled and life is riddled with people only wanting to serve on their own terms or by their own passion. And we need to move that from, well, I only want to do it this way, to where, do I, where can I help? Where is their need? Where's their need, like, right now? You know, where's their need on camera? Where's their need on social media? Where's their need on kids? Where's their need on host team? Where is their need? That is the best question you can ask when serving the kingdom of God. God's work has been accomplished through a volunteer army we see here in the Old Testament, but we also see the pages of the New Testament in the early church and through all church history. God has moved through his people. He's moved through broken vessels like you and I to accomplish together the work of God. 
you are not done serving until Jesus comes back or you're dead, all right? There is no retirement in the kingdom. You know, on a practical level, let's just go on a practical level here. The reason why we do two services is so that you can serve one and attend one. I've been a part of churches, and even years ago here, uh, <clears throat> we, we would have one service. And I would watch people serve wholeheartedly year after year after year. And then they would just collapse. Why? I watched one kids worker once who had one service, and so they ran the kids, they ran part of the kids area. They weren't in church for three years. After the end of three years, not only were they burnt out, they were burnt out spiritually, I, they left. I don't even know if they go to church anymore. And I remember in that moment saying, we can never, ever, ever do that. We need people that are being fed by the word of God and serving uh, in the church. That's why we attend one, serve one. Some people are like, oh man, that's, that's, that's extra time at church. Oh man, that's, that's rough, right? <laughs> when I hear that, I'm like, Seriously? All right. So you're just going to get deer in the headlights. I mean, I get it. Some of you have to travel like an hour. I get that. But like some of you that live like five blocks away, I'm like, uh-huh. All right. So anyway, uh, sorry. But anyway, uh, no sympathy here. Uh, but uh, anyway, some of you are like, well, what about our kids? Our kids have to go to City Kids twice. I'm like, listen, just talk to my kids, right? Like, hey, Elias, you love it going to City Kids twice when you did, right? In fact, your sister's not here, right? So I can, I can embarrass her, by the way. I get, I get permission, all right? But anyway, She'll cry if she can't go to City Kids twice, right? Because they do such an awesome job there that they get to learn the things of the Lord. And then they're like, well, don't they learn the same thing over again? Yeah, but how many times do your kids watch the Netflix episode five times in a row, right? So it's like, don't make excuses for them, right? The thing is your kids want to go to City Kids a bunch of times, right? And so that's a beautiful thing. That's the reason why on a practical level, uh, we serve one and we attend one. And it really does commend a blessing. It really does. Uh, and it moves our heart when we begin to see what God can do, that this is God's church, that God is going to meet people, that people's lives are going to change, that we're going to see strongholds broken, that we're going to see testimonies arising, that we're going to see our lives renewed, and that we get to anticipate the hope of Christ in our life forever. Uh, I want to tell you, we go from, oh man, I got to go to church this morning, oh man, I got I to gotta punch my clock, and I got I to gotta serve God this morning. We go from that to, we get to do this. Why are you up and at him? I don't even need a cup of coffee. Why? I get to go to church. God's going to show up. He's going to change lives. I'm going to see, Andy's going to give the gospel. People are going to respond to it. I'm going to see people that literally were dead that came to life. I can't wait to go to church, right? How many of you want to go from being, I'm just going to hobble into church to, I can't get out of here. I don't even need a donut. I'm sitting here. First note to praise. I love you, Jesus, Right? Right? Oh, sometimes we want to make a virtue that we need a resurrection because we're just so dead in the Lord when in reality that is not a virtue. That's a tragedy, right? Whew, this isn't a funeral. This is a celebration, right? Amen, church? Here's the deal, though. When you come into church, the thing I love about Kenosha City Church is that there are people that have been going to church their whole life. There are people every single week. You're giving church another shot. Maybe you haven't been to church in years, we've had people come in here like, I've been to church since I was like three years old and they're in 50, all right? That's what I love about church is that we come together, broken people, and if you're hungry for the Lord, oh, you can meet with the Lord, amen? So you don't have to be perfect at what you do. 
You don't even have to be so like church to even begin serving in the church. You just got to be willing. You just got to be willing. The best leaders are the ones who are hungry for the Lord. They're humble in what they know about the Lord and they hustle for the kingdom. There are people who have a high will. That means that their willingness is, is, is high on the charts to see the work of the Lord to be done. If you have a high will, if you have a high will but you have even low skill in something, guess what? That high will will make you a learner. That's why we don't need professionals in, in Kenosha City Church. We just need people that have a high will. Why? Because if you have a high will, you're going to learn to do what you need to get done so the kingdom of God moves forward, right? So if you have a high will, that means a positive attitude. That means having a good outlook. You're not a, you're not a Debbie Downer, right? You're like, you know what? I, I am going to see the best in people, and, I, and I'm going to believe the best of what God says about himself, and we're going to go forward. Too often we look at people who are talented, Right? but take little consideration into character or attitude towards others. Sometimes these talented people that come into the church, they, 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 or maybe they're your teams at work, or maybe they're at school or whatever, they lack that team and community connection. They can be very difficult people to work with. You cannot substitute talent for lack of character or lack of teamwork or, 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 or just someone who's filled with negativity. Let's put up a little box here. Let's see where we are. When it comes to uh, your workplace, when it comes to school, when it comes to church. You see, those that are going to thrive, if you want to thrive in life with what matters most, you want to be in those top two boxes. High will, low skill, or high will, high skill. If you're high will, high skill, you're just dominating, right? But listen, you don't need to be the best at your thing if you have a good attitude about it. If you're willing uh, to do the work. You see, the thing that really dominates uh, our lives and can take up all the bandwidth are people that have a low will. Low will individuals don't want to learn. Low will individuals are like, I guess I have to. Low will individuals, it's like pulling, the, pulling teeth trying to get them to do what they're able to do. So someone with a low will and has low skill will never learn what they need to learn. But here's what's happening is oftentimes people will get into positions of, of team, whether it be your school work project or whether it be here at the office or even the church. You'll get people that are super highly talented, but yet they have a low will. A low will demonstrates itself in this. Negative attitudes, uh, laziness, uh, a lack of, of, of vision for the future, unbiblical attitudes, low wills kill organizations, churches, school projects, and yes, even momentum in the church. I want you to know that if you have low will, we're gonna give you the opportunity here week in and week out, we'll bear with you, uh, to become somebody who has a high will that's hungry, humble, and has hustle for the kingdom of God. But if you're like, ah, I'm just gonna be like, listen, if you're gonna be a curmudgeon in the name of the Lord, I'm gonna be honest, we'll pray for you, right? We'll love you, right? Uh, you know, you, you, you're part of the family, but just know you're not gonna get rewarded for that, all right? When people walk through the doors thinking they're the best thing to happen in the kingdom of God, when they walk in the church doors and like, I have something to give. I'm so talented. I know the Bible. I'm a good singer. Uh, I'm so miraculously amazing at my spiritual gifts. Oh, I can teach classes in my sleep. Oh, right? You might be able to do all of that. But again, do you have the humility in the Lord 
You have a high will. You know what I tell people when they come in immediately, they give me the pedigree of everything they've ever done. I say, oh, hey, that's great. And it, well, oftentimes it is great. We have just amazing people that are, that are well, over 100 people that make church happen. Uh, but you know what I tell people when they come into the door is we want you to know the community. We want you to be part of the community right away. Yes, you can serve, yes, but we, we want you to be known. We want you to jump into a city group. We, we want you to jump into an area wherever you need to help and, and serve. Uh, we, we, want you to, we want you to jump into what God is doing here where help is needed. If you want to teach people, you've got to know your people. And you know what? Some people, they don't want to know people they want to teach. And guess what? That, you're going to be frustrated um, if, because that's not a value here. All right, I just I I want to put that on the table. We don't encounter that very often, but sometimes we do. But I want you to know we value biblical community so much that that is our first priority. That's why again we do serve serve one attend one. We want to make sure that you're within the community of Christ as you're serving. And it's important to serve. It's important to volunteer. You're robbing yourself of a blessing and not joining what God is doing when He said, "I just want to consume but not contribute." Serving God is not about how you start, but how you finish. Number two, all right, so if we're going to join into what God is doing now, number two is we need to celebrate what God has done, all right, so we need to look and, and join in where God is at work, but secondly, we need to be people of celebration. The quickest way to burn out and joining what God is doing is not celebrate and acknowledge what God has done. Uh, that's what praise and worship time is so important on Sunday mornings. It's our time to say, God, you are good. God, I'm, 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 making, I, I, I'm declaring that you're king. And I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging what you have done. Celebrate what God has done. And this is what we see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. When all the physical work had been done, they paused and had a moment, had a, not just a moment, a worship service of worship services. Nehemiah 12, 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites, wherever they lived, and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres, all right? It was loud, all right? They brought in the Levites who, who uh, oversaw the, the worship uh, activities. They brought in the singers. They brought in all the instruments, and they had a loud, raucous time of praise because they're like, look, look what God has done. The singers gathered from the regions all around Jerusalem. And on verse 43, on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. This wasn't like a, do you see what God did? It's kind of cool, wasn't it? Hey, oh God, you're so good. No, 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 no. This was praise without an amplification system, without a microphone. This was praise that was heard for miles and miles and miles. And I can imagine people in the countryside were like, what's going on there? It's like, haven't you heard? No, what, what? Haven't you heard what God has done? And listen, when we praise, when our life encompasses the teachings of Jesus, and people see the joy of the Lord in your heart, people are like, what's this all about? Haven't you heard? No. Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He gives us life. He gives us new life. He's broken strongholds. People that were once dead are now alive. Haven't you heard? No, I haven't heard. Then come with me. That's what joyous celebration brings. The people of God knew that they were not finished. They 
were just beginning. They were just beginning. Oh, it'd be so simple to say, oh, we've arrived. We built our new building. We got the new gates. No, they knew it. And listen, let me, let me just do a little uh, history break for you, okay? This is how big this moment was. This was the dedication of the second temple. This was the dedication of the people coming back after exile. The first temple, Solomon's temple, was built in 966 B.C. And it was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Uh, this temple was first put in the heart of King David to be a place where people could gather and they could be in the presence of God uh, and offer sacrifices. It was a practical place where the whole world could know the one true God. Uh, David did not build this, but Solomon, his son, fulfilled and, and was able to build this temple. But this temple was destroyed after Israel had neglected their duty to the Lord and neglected their mission to the Lord. And Israel was sent into exile and the Babylonians took over and they literally tore the temple down. So the temple was in absolute ruins. Uh, but by the time the Persian Empire had taken over and they began sending people back to Jerusalem, uh, they allowed them to rebuild the temple. And this second temple is called Zerubbabel's temple. It was built around 516 B.C. It was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. I'll get to that in just a moment. The second temple started during the first waves of exiles. This is mentioned very uh, con uh, concretely in the book of Ezra. Uh, this, was, uh, this temple is called Zerubbabel's temple because it was built under the direction of Zerubbabel. It took 20 years to complete the second temple. Uh, but by 516, it was completed. Um, the temp and so what we're seeing here in Nehemiah is not only the dedication of the temple, but the gates that surrounded the temple. Nehemiah has completed the, the last of the work. And now the temple was fully functioning with the city populated. It was an amazing, amazing feat. The people of the Lord were so dejected, and now they realize they've come home. Now the second temple, I will, I will note this, uh, was uh, damaged. It's not talked about in scriptures in between the Old Testament and New Testament time. Uh, it was damaged. Uh, during uh, different uprisings, uh, but was refurbished and built onto by Herod the Great. Uh, that's why by the time we get to the Gospels, it's called Herod's Temple. So the second temple gets a new name, Herod's Temple, when Herod began to refurbish it. This is the temple that Jesus walked through. So the second temple, what we're seeing dedicated today, is the very temple that Jesus walked through. This temple was destroyed in 70 AD when a great persecution broke out against the Jewish people and Christians. Uh, in fact, uh, when uh, they destroyed uh, the temple in 70 AD, they took some of the bricks and built the Colosseum in Rome with it, right? Crazy. But then when the Colosseum in Rome fell uh, and, and uh, Rome began to be Christianized, people took bricks from the Colosseum and built churches. Uh, it's amazing what God does, right? We're told later on, though, uh, that there will be another temple built. In fact, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the temple mount was left. Uh, later on, uh, the Muslims built the Dome on the Rock, which sits on the Temple Mount. Now we see scriptures today saying the temple will be rebuilt. This is a sign of the end times, which means if there is a temple, uh, an Islamic temple on the Temple on the Mount, and scripture speaks of a Jewish temple being built there again, you can know that something is going to happen, right? And so we don't know when that something is. For many, many hundreds of years, people didn't know when that was going to happen. But it became much more of a fresh reality when the nation of Israel became a nation again in 1948. Okay, Some 2,000 years after Israel ceased being a nation, it became a nation again in 1948. And now uh, there is a prophecy that the temple will be built again. Now what's this have to do for the Christians? 
Nothing. We don't need a temple. It's just a sign for us of the end times. Uh, we don't need a temple. We don't worship in a temple. The veil was torn when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Uh, in fact, the temple is our bodies. As Christians, uh, our, our bodies are described as the temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you with whom you have from God? You are not your own. So when we meet together as a church, this isn't a temple. This isn't technically an altar. It's just a stage, right? The most important thing is as we, as people, who our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How is that so? Because when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He comes to reside in you. So our, us calling our bodies a temple is a picture of the reality that where the Holy Spirit indwelt in a temple in the past, he now indwells in you. How amazing is that? And so when we come together as God's people to be the hands and feet of God, to, to be listening ears to his word man i want to tell you such a beautiful reality we get to experience that they didn't even get to experience in the old testament and so when we meet together when we want to finish well we got to celebrate what god has done and when we celebrate what god has done it's going to result in joyful praise Nehemiah 12, 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites, wherever they lived, and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing according, uh, and accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. So when they were dedicating this temple, uh, they realized all what they had been through. And that's what's really important. When we open up the word of God, when we worship and, and we praise God, we need to put that and juxtapose that to where our life has been or where it's at now. When we do that, we become thankful. And when you're thankful, you become joyful. Remember I talked about, we could hobble into church or we can come in saying, well, I can't wait to what God is going to do. It's a perspective. It's perspective of I'm gonna either focus on myself and what's going on in my circumstances or I'm gonna focus on the promises of almighty God. We have bold access to him. Where we were once dead, now through Jesus Christ, we are alive. He gives us new mercies every day. He gives us the roof over our heads. We have bold access to him. We are not our own. He is, not, he is for you, not against you. He hears your prayers. He gives you rest. He frees us from our sin and shame. He breaks our addictions. How could we not come in here and say, well, God, I can't wait to worship you. God, I know I'm tired. God, I know that the, this week has been harder. God, I know that certain things are in the future. I don't know how I'm gonna work that out. Those are all cast to the side because you're the Lord of Lords. You're in control. And even though when I don't understand how it's going to work, you do. Oh, you are so mighty to be praised. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords. It's perspective, isn't it? We get to walk in here and be wowed by who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. And in order for us to be wowed, we have to be humbled. We have to humble ourselves in desperate adoration of God that we wanted nothing to do with Christ. He sought us and he bought us. And through Christ, we have so much to be hopeful for. Who needs to hear this this morning? That in Christ, we have so much to be hopeful for. Joy is not critical. It's helpful. Joy is not scowful. It's infectious. Joy, it's so important. If you're not joyful, you're gonna be hobbling back to this life. Serving God is not about how you start, but how you finish. Joyous, joyful praise will be exhibited from those that are going to be running to that finish line. And by the way, when you have joyful praise, it leads to joyful unity. We see this in Nehemiah 12, 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard from far away. 
People from all over resettled, and now people from all over are coming even to peek their head into the celebration. And what's happening is this. When the celebration is focused on God, and for the church, I want you to know Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. When it's all about Jesus, when it's all about his gospel, when it's all about making disciples, reaching those who are lost without him, encouraging and strengthening those to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, when we make it about the main thing, that is the unity the Lord is after. Unity is a buzzword today. It often means nothing, right? Uh, unity uh, is a buzzword that we're, when people talk about unity, they mean let's water things down so everybody likes it, right? Uh, unity is something to where uh, the, the loudest person and their most passionate things that they want, that becomes a thing that we have to be about. That's not what unity is about. I've been part of unity movements where it's descended into those, those type of things. But whenever you're part of something that's unity and it's away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to know it is a false unity. What we see here is that people are coming from all over and they're being unified in the truth of God and being God's people. Church, this is our example. Our example is this. We need to be unified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondary things we will wrestle with, but listen, if we miss the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have missed it all. I'm gonna tell you, uh, it, is, it is so easy for churches and even Christians to miss it all today. The world hears noise from the church. If it's the gospel, how beautiful of a noise it is. But if it's something else, this world's dysfunctional enough, they'll just drown that out as well. The gospel is the hope to a dying world. And as we reach the city, we will never try to conceal ourselves within the culture, but lovingly confront it with the love of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. Serving God is not about how you start, but how you finish. Third thing, and then we're gonna close. If you're gonna finish well, you need to keep focused on how you, you need to keep focused on what God wants us to do. You need to keep focused on what God wants us to do. Nehemiah uh, 12, 44. On that same day, men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contribution, first fruits, and tents. They legally required portions from the priests and Levites were gathered from the fields, village fields, because Judah was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They performed a service of their God and the service of the purification, along with the singers and gatekeepers, as David, his son, Solomon, had prescribed. So this is what we get. We have the people that were, we have Nehemiah leading the people back to Jerusalem, finishing the walls, right? Uh, now he's repopulating the city. And now they had a giant celebration. And oh, oh, this is what I want to get. Is this is when a lot of people miss it. The celebration's over now. The celebration of, oh, look what God has done. You see, celebration, especially if it's joyous celebration, can beckon you to a mountaintop experience. But I want you to know, you can't stay at the mountaintop. We were hiking mountains just a few weeks ago. Now, as I was on one of the cliffs when we were on the very top, there's not a lot of life. You gotta go down to the valley where the river is. It's in the valley where life happens. I want you to know what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 44 is when the celebration ceased, 
that's when things had to keep going. They were going to live by mission, which means they were going to contribute into making sure that mission was going to happen. They gave the tithes of the Levites. They began to perform their services. And you see the different people's uh, positions or different areas where they're serving the Lord. But the point is this. Is that they had to continually give their time, their talents, and their treasure. They had to continually move forward in the works of the Lord. It's not about just a moment. It's not about completing something. Yes, those are part of it, but it's about a life. It's about a life moving forward. It's about a life being obedient. And even those mundane, I'm in the valley, I'm, in, I'm depressed, I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, I don't know what I'm going to do about work, I don't know what I'm going to do about that coworker. I don't know what I'm going to do about that test, I don't know what I'm going to do, fill in the blank. It's in those moments. But God, you stand with me. You go before me. And I want to be obedient to you. It's realizing that you've been given a life that's much more than the sum total of your circumstances, but you've been given a life that is to be on mission. So yes, moments in accomplishing things, those are important, but it's not game over. It's you've just begun. And if that's like, oh, I'm just so tired this morning, I want you to know the Lord wants to fill you afresh with his strength, with his knowledge, with his goodness. I want you to know that God wants to give our church and you individually something way bigger than you. If you think you can accomplish what God wants in your own strength and by yourself, you will burn out. It can't be done by you. It must be done in utter dependence and the strength of the Lord. That's why he's given you this Holy Spirit. But it's not just you doing something by yourself. It's together. He has given us and entrusted us something way bigger than our life. And when God accomplishes it through us, guess who gets the credit? Not me, not we, but he, Jesus Christ. I want, I just want to, let's just bring this down here. See, Israel, they, they, they had lost their land. They had lost their home. They were to be an example to the world. Israel had to come back because the prophecies talk about a Messiah coming up from Israel, right? So this isn't just getting their temple back and city back. Uh, this was a whole plan where Messiah was going to come up, Jesus Christ, to give us life. Right now in this time of history, though, let's get real. We're losing the next generation at a rapid rate. The next generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, at a rapid, rapid rate. I'll, I have hope of what they can do. I'm a former youth pastor. I believe God can accomplish so much to the youth of our land. But I want you to know there is a concerted effort to win the hearts of our young people. And if we are asleep at the wheel, wanting our little pet projects... We'll miss it all and we'll lose a generation. In fact, they project 35 million young people will leave the faith by 2050. 35 million. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, Kenosha and surrounding uh, counties, Racine, uh, even Lake County, we live in one of the most underreached biblical regions in the country. Somebody like, really? What? Some stats even show from the census even more so than San Francisco. How's that possible? Because we live in a very historic religious community. And people that are far from God can hide behind religion. You understand what I'm saying? Biblical Christianity is in the far minority, so much so this is one of the most unreached areas. 
And so let me just put this out there. I'm not in competition with other churches. We're, you're not in competition with other churches, right? We are in competition with the biggest church, and that's Satan's church, of people that are far from God. And we don't reach them saying, how dare you? We reach them saying, God has a plan for your life. God died on the cross for your sins. There's something better than this life that ends in death. This life ends with life in Christ. In the church world, though, unfortunately, not only do we face a younger generation that is leaving at a very rapid rate, we face existing churches falling into deconstruction, that is, moving away from the word of God, or on the other end, we are facing churches that are double-downing in self-righteousness. Both will lead to an exodus of gospel impact. Many approach church with a poverty mindset, forgetting that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Many people hobble into church. And let me just make this known. You may have hobbled into church today because you've been far from God. Oh, I love that. The doors are wide open for that. I'm talking about the person you've been in church for 25 years and you're hobbling. You're like, I got to go back. Listen, it is not to be that way. God has given your spirit, his spirit, for you to thrive to where you're not like... I've been there, done that. Oh, someone gave their life to Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. To, wow, look what God has done. Wow, look what God can do. It hasn't happened yet? All right, let's pray because we're going to go to the God of the universe, the one who actually spoke the universe by just his word, right? Who knows all the stars and knows all their name, knows all the hair on your head. Like, we're going to go to him because he is more than able. Amen, church? Kenosha City Church, we are just getting started. This isn't a rah-rah declaration. No, rather, this is a call to an already existing call of God saying, who shall go with us? Here we are, Lord. Send us. So here's our application. If we're just getting started, if we're going to engage a world that is dying without God, dying without Jesus, this is what I'm asking you to do this week as we prepare to get started. Number one is pray for your church leaders. Not just me, but, but your leaders maybe leading the teams. I want you to know when you step up into leadership, your other leaders, other volunteers, you in the flesh are going to be attacked by the enemy. But we don't, we don't not volunteer or, or step up to the front lines because we're going to be attacked. No, because greater is the Lord than the attacks the enemy will give you, all right? But we need to pray for the leaders. I covet your prayers, okay? Pray for your church leaders. Pray for each other, Right? Pray for one another. That's what I love about being in a city group. You're able to pray for each other. Uh, we have a prayer group that, that meets at 8 in the morning. They pray over these services. Pray for each other. Connect with a city group. How do you prepare to finish well? Connect into a city, uh, city group. That's the city group community. You can sign up right now. They, they start in this next week. We're beginning to ramp up our city groups again. If you're not in a city group, this is your time to jump into that. Jump into service. Some of you might be here on week two. It's like, I can start serving? Yeah, you, you can apply. You can start serving. It's what we love about Kenosha City Church is you can jump in quick. And invest in reaching this next generation. Now, every generation needs to be committed to making sure that we're not the last generation. So, Father, we love you. And we thank you that you entrust us. Something even much greater than a city wall or gate. We don't even need a temple anymore. Because when we choose to place our faith and trust in you, 
you open our hearts to receive your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, can reside in us and resides in us for those that place their faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray today that you would enlarge our vision that the mission task in this church will only happen if we work together and realize what you give us is much bigger than ourselves. Thank you for Kenosha City Church, that you give a church that is so full of faith, but protect them, protect us. And Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith as we look to you, the faithful one. As we continue to pray, I just want to talk to anybody that maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, the beautiful thing is this, is that Christ will receive anybody who comes to him. So my question to you is this, are you certain you have a relationship with Jesus? If you were to die today or stand before Jesus and he said, why should I let you my kingdom? Would you know what to say? Do you have that full assurance that you're going to heaven? Do you have that full assurance that your sins have been forgiven? The answer is I don't know or no. You can know right now how to be forgiven. Yes, you. Like, oh, you don't know what I did last week. Well, God does. Jesus does. And he paid for it all. Jesus Christ created you to be with him. But our actions in life separate us from Almighty God. It's called sin. Our sins separate us from Almighty God. You know what we try to do? We try to do good things to get back to God. But listen, good things don't get you to God. We're bankrupt spiritually. We need a rescue. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus, fully God, fully man, came to this earth 2,000 years ago to die a brutal death on the cross. And yes, the death was brutal on the cross, but what was even more brutal was the wrath of God was poured down on Jesus. He took your punishment of sin upon himself. On the cross, Jesus paid for your sin in full, past, present, and future. He said it is finished, but the check cleared. He paid for your sins. The check cleared when he rose from the dead. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why? Because Jesus was a sinless, perfect sacrifice paying for our sin. He is the only one capable of dying for our sins. Every other world leader or religious leader lies in the grave today. But Jesus is resurrected and his tomb is empty. If you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, do it right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm in. Lord Jesus, I'm going to place my faith and trust in you alone. I want to place my faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to save me. I want to follow you now. If that's you with no one looking around, if that's you, today you're asking Jesus Christ to save you, to step into your life. You're placing your full faith and trust in him alone. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand like, yeah, that's me. That's me, thank you. Anybody else, thank you. Anybody else? Just raise up your hand, say that's me. It's not raising your hand doesn't save you, Jesus saves you. You're just indicating to me that you're making a decision for Jesus today. You wanna to be made right with him. Anybody else? Great, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for those that have said yes to you today. Lord Jesus, I pray they would begin to live a life that is not their own, but that's yours. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving us from our sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. It's why we have hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.